Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Amazing, amazing. I don't, I don't know whether you enjoyed seeing a little bit of Richard Garton there in the worship. I mean, he's always trying to get on the camera, isn't he? Always. He loves it. He loves it. it. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. I kind of said, hey, dude, you're kind of in shot there. And then he kind of like tried to sneak down a little bit, like ever so subtle. And everybody, to be fair, in the Facebook chat, I just really enjoying seeing you, Richard. There's a there lot of love. Go, saying, oh, there he is. There's Richard, Richard, we love you, man. And we, we love you whatever side of the camera you are, Richard. So, yeah. um, but I, I like the photo bombing. You thought, Hannah's getting too much airtime. I'm going to go and photo bomb that shot right there. Um, well, I hope you're well today. Um, it's an interesting time in which we're living right now. You, you kind of think every week it can't get more crazy, but then it does go and get crazy in other ways. And so this week, obviously, we've got the uh, Capitol Hill thing that's going on there, whatever that is. Whatever that we've is. got uh, the snow in Madrid, people skiing around Madrid. Why not? And, um, you know, the other day I was thinking I kind of fancy kind of watching an apocalyptic movie. Um, and so I looked at like Geostorm or 2012. Do you remember those good old days? 2012, the good old days, right? And instead I thought, I'll oh, just watch the news because it's as good as, isn't it? My gosh. Well, we did that the other day. We started watching a, a really depressing kind of apocalyptic film and we were like, yeah, it's not so bad, actually. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. when you start to envy the people in the apocalyptic film, you think, they've got, they've yeah, got it easy. But anyways, about? it is the kind of time in which we live, but we're not here to discourage you. We're here to encourage you because regardless of what's going outside your front door, Jesus is still king. He's still on the yeah. throne. He's still out working his plans and his purposes. So there is great reason to be encouraged. Although I would say this, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, how are you even doing life at what? the moment? I mean, my gosh, homeschooling enough. Surely that's enough to send you over the edge if you don't know Jesus. Oh. Hannah's there as a homeschooler. Hannah, you're amazing. Hannah we, chooses this life. I, I know. mean, I just, I'm in awe of we Hannah. If I wasn't in awe all of the parents of, yeah. who, who choose to homeschool, you know. It's not my bag. Who say, <laughs> I mean, the good reason now that you are homeschooling is that the government aren't kind of changing it week by week because you've decided, I'm going to homeschool my kid come what may. Whereas we put them in schools like the Okie Cokie, innit? Yeah, put them in for a day, yeah, take yeah. them out. Shake them all um, but hey, we do hope that uh, you know in the presence of God during this time. And just to say, if you went on the website, sunhill.church, to try and feed a family, but the link wasn't there, it will be there during this message and after the service. Uh, and so you can go to sunhill.church and register there. But we've got so much cool stuff. On Wednesday, we're going to be looking at how to not lose it, how to not lose your mind in this season. And between now and Wednesday, we're going to learn. We're going to learn. How not to and we're going to try and reclaim some of <laughs> and our <share> sanity. <laughs> um, but we're in a series called Just Jesus, and uh, we think it's a really timely thing. And God laid it on our heart a few weeks ago as a leadership to really just go after Jesus in this season. Um, and, you know, in my head, it was kind of a sense of we've come out of 2020. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. But obviously, we're still in the midst of all the unpredictabilities and unknowns of life yeah. and pandemics and global warming and everything else in the mix and threat of nuclear war and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's a crazy time. But actually, I think it just really pushes that idea even further. Like now, there's never been a better time yeah, right. to get your eyes fixed on Jesus, who he is, what he's about, and what he wants to do in your life. And last week, we looked at like when things don't go your way and how you pray and you seek the Lord and you want a certain outcome, but it doesn't work out that way. And you're like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. But even in those times, even when God doesn't come through the way you want him to come through, he's still God. But actually, even better than him changing your circumstances, there's a greater truth to the situation. And that's he's in your circumstances yeah. with you. You can know his presence every single day. So praise God for that. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to be looking at the theme, just Jesus, just Jesus. There we go. We're going to be looking at the theme, all or nothing. Yeah. All or nothing. Uh, and really, this is a talk about unpacking the idea of discipleship. So let me just get the bearings right on time. 
We're going to do a bit of journeying today. It's a great opportunity to get your notepad and your pens because I think there's going to be things that you're going to want to capture and maybe revisit and look into yourself. Um, but really, the, the, the big picture of today's message is addressing the area of followership, okay? Followership. To be a disciple means to follow, to follow a teacher, to follow a philosophy, to follow a way of life, okay? And um, I really want us to reclaim this morning the true sense of what it means to be a follower, because I think in many ways, social media has made following a very superficial, low bar, kind of just pressing a like on a, on a page or subscribing to a website or something. Like you, you go onto Facebook and you like a page and you, you follow a page. And I think in many ways, we kind of associate following with liking. Yeah, okay. You know, so uh, if you like the Sunny Hill page, essentially you're automatically signed up to follow. That's what happens when you like a page, you're then automatically subscribed to follow that page. In other words, that when we put a post out there, for the most part, it'll appear on your newsfeed. And I think in some ways we think liking and following are the same, but they're not the same. You can like Jesus, but you're not necessarily following Jesus. You can like him and it's like give his page a little like because he's awesome and his promises are good. But actually following Jesus is a completely different proposition. Okay, so maybe you are a millennial or you're kind of au fait with all of the social media language. But I want to provoke you today that following and liking are two very different things. When you dig into the, the context of the day in which Jesus ministered, as a rabbi, it's incredible what followership and discipleship truly looks like. And that's the journey I want to take you on today. You ready for that? Okay, so check this out. Matthew 4. Okay, this is so funny for me. Okay, what's going on in the chat room, actually? Why people are finding Matthew 4? <laughs> they are, uh, they're talking about homeschooling. Oh, okay. And, and the hokey cokey. Hokey cokey. It's not like shaking children. Okay. No, you Oh, shaking shake children. Them all about. Oh, you I see. No, you can't do that. That's them. true. Well, sometimes you can when they're extremely tricky. Okay. But Matthew 4, verse 18, it's going to come up on the screen at home. Check this out. Okay. So at this point, Jesus has um, been baptized by John the Baptist. He has gone into the wilderness and been tempted by Satan. And um, we've been starting our homeschooling days this week with a Bible class, haven't we, with our boys. And uh, I've been trying to teach them the big picture of why Jesus came and who Jesus is. And it was so funny because as Judah was reading the passage where Jesus is tempted, he says, I can't believe Santa would, would tempt Jesus, right? I was like, no, dude, that's Satan, okay? It's close, the right letters, but the wrong order. For a moment, he thought, why would we like, want Santa coming to our house yeah, if he's right. going to tempt Jesus, my gosh? Um, but this is just after the point where Jesus has been baptized. He's gone into the wilderness, and he's overcome the enemy and the temptation that Satan throws at him. But now he's looking for disciples to follow him, okay? And we pick it up there. Listen to this, chapter 4 in Matthew, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and I like it when the Bible does that, Simon called Peter. Why don't you just call him Peter? That's ultimately the name that we know him by. But before he knew Jesus, his name was Simon. Okay, so Jesus saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Okay, so they were going about their fishing business. Jesus says these three words, and we all know them well, come, follow me. Say that at home with me. Come, come follow, follow me. me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus extends an invitation and he says, listen, come and follow me. Become a disciple. Like learn the ways that I'm going to be teaching you. Like learn the way of life that I'm going to be living out. And as you follow me, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to make you into something different. And Jesus uses this picture of fishing for fish and speaks about fishing for people. 
funny, Adam Clark texted me this morning to encourage me. And he says, come on, we've got to mature the body of Christ because, you know, we're coming to a season where we need to fish like we've never fished before to get ready for the catch of all catches. And when we talk in that way as a church, what we're talking about is seeing people coming into the kingdom of God, seeing people getting baptized and giving their life to Jesus and following in the way of Christ. But Jesus extends this invitation, bearing in mind at this point, Jesus, it wasn't known by everybody. He was just somebody who was moving around. And he goes along the Sea of Galilee and he says to Simon, Peter, and Andrew, he says, come follow me. And then in verse 20, it makes me laugh. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Who does that? (laughs) Who does that? I mean, who does that? Upon three words, come follow me. Who says, yeah, all right. And they leave everything behind all of their means for income and livelihood and say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. In fact, it goes on in verse 21. Going on from there, Jesus goes four for four here. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee. This gets even more awkward. Preparing their nets, Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What is this? Does no one else find that weird? It's pretty brutal. Like, I think sometimes we just go, yeah, it's a Bible. That's what happens, isn't it? No, that's not what happens. No. It's weird. It's weird that, like, with this less than great sales pitch, Jesus manage, <laughs> manages to swoon four fishermen, yeah. people who were in, like, a rough industry, mm. people who weren't overly religious, people who had been dropped out of the Jewish education system. Jesus manages to sway them into a posture of followership where they would lay down their fishing nets, leave their fishing boats, and they would even leave their dad, Zebedee. Crazy. Come on, seriously, guys, you've really got to think about how mental that is, right? I mean, we're doing a session on Wednesday, how not to lose it. I think these four right here could do with that session, how to not lose it. I mean, I just imagine Peter going home and like saying to his wife, how's your day, Peter? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I left the job. (laughs) All right. Uh... (laughs) Why have you left the job? Oh, some guy just came and told me to follow him, right? Yeah, okay, great. Cool. Where's the boat? Oh, I just left it. All right, well, when are you going? Oh, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't tell me when we were going. When are you coming back? I don't know that either, really. I'm just following. Like, yeah. it, it is a crazy idea that these four fishermen would just up sticks, leave everything behind and follow this Jesus. But it makes more sense if we understand the context. And that's what I want to try to teach you today. Through the first lockdown, I started to study up a bit more on the Jewishness of Jesus, okay? Um, Because Jesus was a Jew, okay? He wasn't a Christian, okay? He was Christ. Like, I mean, I guess you could say he was the first Christian, but actually that wouldn't be true because actually we, we come through the Jewish line. Salvation comes through the Jews. That's how it works, okay? So Jesus was a Jew and he ministered predominantly to Jewish people in a Jewish context. And our history as Christians, all of the Old Testament, is through the lens and filter of Judaism. And it's important for us to understand that because sometimes I think we miss the meaning and the weight of some of the scriptures we read because we just read them with our westernized British kind of uh, lens. Okay, so we assume Jesus is some white guy from Dorset. That's how we just picture him, you know, and he's like, come follow me. And like all of these fishermen are just like fishermen down at Pool Harbor. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. But it's quite profound what's happening in this moment. And I'll tell you why. Because for every Jewish boy, which these fishermen were, the ultimate goal in life, like this week at homeschool, Caleb did a bit of work, didn't he? And uh, one of the things, what, would, what are your aspirations? What's your ambitions in life? And there was some cool stuff in there. He says, I want to preach the word like mom and dad. And we're like, oh, that's so sweet. But then there was also stuff, plus I want to be a YouTuber. 
of course, obviously, okay, because what nine-year-old doesn't want to be a YouTuber? And I want to play football, and I want to make cars and give them to people who need them. All right, there's a, there's a, he's going to be a busy guy. And he wanted to live, by the, live in England by the beach and have a good view of the sea. I mean, to be, to be honest, that sounds like a good ambition, okay? But here's the thing, like, in the same way that every child today would love to be kind of some social media influencer and YouTuber, in this context, the ultimate goal of the Jewish boy's kind of existence was to become a rabbi. Right. Okay, so that's really important to understand. Now, to become a rabbi, you have to first be a disciple because you have to learn the teaching of a rabbi. Now, now, to help you to understand this in context, this is wild. So, Micah, think about this, okay? Cast your mind back to when you were six years old. Okay, you would go through the Jewish education system. And get this, by the age of six, every Jewish boy was expected to memorize the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. How much of Leviticus do you know, Micah? Leviticus. Can you, um, Micah, can you recite any of Leviticus for us today? Wow. Le Leviticus. Le yeah, yeah, no, I'll do it later, okay? Basically, do not do this, basically. Right, Leviticus, without doubt, is one of the hardest books to read, let alone memorize. In fact, you read the whole thing this week, didn't you, in your Bible shred? I read it in a day. You read it... all of Leviticus. I mean, what are you smoking? What are you tripping? Like, that, is a, that is a big commitment yeah. right there. I, it, it made me feel a bit sick, so I didn't eat dinner. It, it, was, a, it was a tough book it, to read. That, you're a bit pale that day, because you're just like, it's so heavy, that book. <laughs> but yet, in the Jewish kind of custom, it was six-year-olds. Memorize it. Like, craziness. Okay, now, let's just say... You were a six-year-old and you had smashed that. You had memorized Leviticus. You were then invited to progress to the next measure of education, which was the Bet Safar, which means the school of the book. Okay, so write that down, Bet Safar, school of the book. And this was a study program that happened between the ages of six to 12 for Jewish boys. Okay, so from the ages of six to 12, during that window of time, you would memorize the whole of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Okay, this is crazy. So by a 12-year-old, you would know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's absolutely insane, isn't it? So if it was a six-year-old, you kind of go, hey, I've smashed Leviticus. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now you've got to do the other four books in the, yeah, in the right. beginning of the Old Testament. So you would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, six to 12. That's the Bet Safar. That is the school of the book. And basically, as you progress through those kind of levels, people would obviously fall out and have to return to the family trade because ultimately you didn't have what it takes to become ultimately a rabbi, which is what the education was leading to. It's kind of interesting because when you're 12 years old and you've memorized those five books, right, you would go through this test where they would say, okay, in order to sit the Torah test, so this isn't even the test, but in order to sit the test, what we're going to do is we're going to get a rabbi to come or someone who is well skilled in the content of the Torah they're going to recite a random part of the first five books of the Bible, right? And then a 12-year-old has to continue and carry on where the person stops. So can pick any random passage in the first five books of the Bible, and then the 12-year-old would then pick up where they left off. I mean, imagine that. Isn't that insane? Is anyone else blown away in the room? That is crazy, isn't it? Now, if you do that, you're then eligible to take the test. <laughs> that, that wasn't the test, right? Here's the test. The test was not to recite the content because that was like, you can do that if you've got a good brain. But here's, here's what the test is. It's not about giving answers to the Torah. It's about asking such provoking questions about the first five books of the Bible that you are able to continue a conversation about God and the first five books of the Bible. 
So it's about how do I ask insightful questions? Now, hopefully, if you know your Bibles, you remember when Joseph and Mary lose Jesus, right? And they're looking for him. Where do they find him? They find him in the temple. And what it says is that, like, the teachers of the law were wowed by his questions. Because Jesus, at the age of 12, had mastered the Torah in such a way. I mean, obviously, because he wrote it. He's the word of God, right? But he had mastered the Torah that, that even the religious leaders of the day were impressed, not only by his answers, they were impressive, but his ability to ask insightful questions that would provoke a deeper reflection and a deeper response. In fact, if you read the Gospels, there's over 360 questions that Jesus asks. Now, now, we know that Jesus is God, so he knows everything, yet he has a way of asking questions. There's some way God speaks to us like that. And to be honest, it winds me up sometimes where you feel like I'm bringing a query before God, and what I feel like I'm living with is God asking me a question. Yeah, like, yeah. Don, what are you hoping to achieve with that? Well, that's not what I said, Lord. What I said is I want help doing this. And I was hoping for a, yes, of course, you can have it, son. But instead, God gives you a question. Okay, some of you are looking for answers, but I think actually often God loves to give you questions to consider. You know, in fact, in one of the books I was reading about being raised as a Jewish child is the, the, the question that the parents ask the children when they come home from school isn't, what did you learn today? Or did you learn anything good? The question is this, did you ask anything good? That's one of the ways that Jewish parents raise their kids. Like, did you ask any great questions today at school? And at 12 years old, if you were able to do that, if you were able to ask great questions in relation and in response to a great passage that had been read to you, you were then able to uh, move into the next stage of education, which is called the Bet Talmud. Can you say the Bet Talmud? Yeah, there's not a lot of buy-in for saying <laughs> that in the room, fair enough. And this is the school of disciples, okay? It's really important that you track with this because this stage of education lasts between the ages of 12 to the age of 30, Okay? Wow. okay, so this is a long process now, 18 years of extreme study, which basically speaks into memorizing the whole of the Old Testament and obviously, uh, ultimately, learning it, asking great questions about it. And it's interesting because if you know your Bibles, you know that we don't really see Jesus in the Gospels between that moment in the yeah. temple when he's 12 and then the moment when he rocks up being baptized by yeah. John the Baptist at the age of 30. Like, where was Jesus for those 18 years? Yeah, right. Well, he was in that school, the school of the disciple, learning to become a rabbi, okay? Now, this is how it works. You would progress through the stages of education. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five. But every time you progress, there'd be a whole batch of Jewish boys who didn't mm. because they just didn't have what it takes. They, didn't, they couldn't cut the mustard. And so, ultimately, is that a saying, cut the mustard? I don't know. It doesn't cut the mustard. I don't know doesn't cut the muscle. It's irrelevant. Stop distracting me. Okay, so all these Jewish boys are slowly being funneled out and to the point where they get to stage five at the age of 30. Then at the age of 30, if you made it through all those stage five stage, stages, all those five stages of the Bet Talmud, then you were automatically a rabbi. You would become a rabbi. There was no test to do. You just basically survived the 18 years of intense <laughs> study and education. Okay. Now, if you got to that stage, are you tracking with this? Yeah. Okay, and I think it's really helpful for us to understand the context of Matthew 4. Because actually, if you got to that stage of study and understanding, you were then actually entitled to become a rabbi. Now, what's interesting is when you change social status in Jewish culture, baptism was necessary. 
So baptism existed before John the Baptist came even, okay? It's important to understand that, that people would be baptized into their next social status as a person because it would speak to this becoming a new thing, which is why Jesus lifts that to speak of us becoming a new creation. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, so what would happen is you'd become a rabbi, you'd be baptized. Now, of those people, right, of the stage five category of the school of Timid, right, the, the school of the disciple, like once in a generation or once in two generations, you would get what we call a rabbi with authority. Mm. The word for authority is samika. Say it at home, samika. Say it in the room, samika. And it speaks to a rabbi who has authority. Now, this wasn't common. Like 99.9% .9 of rabbis were just bog-standard rabbis, if there is such a thing. I mean, if you've done 30 years of education in that way, there's no such thing as a bog-standard rabbi. But here's the challenge, right? As you're studying through those 18 years of study, you would be under the teaching of a rabbi, and he would teach you his yoke. That is the word that is used to speak to teaching and understanding, and it would relate specifically to a rabbi who had understanding relayed and passed down to him. But a rabbi who has authority has the right and credibility to bring a fresh and new revelation to a yoke. So if you're a rabbi who has authority, you can question and you can challenge previous yokes, like you can mess up other yokes, and you can begin to bring insightful new revelation, new direction, and new teaching and understanding that essentially then will be passed on to the next generation. Okay? Now, this is really amazing because the way that you would get recognized as a rabbi... Are you tracking with me? I'm a bit worried that I'm just speaking a whole lot. Are you all tracking? The reason you would get recognized as a rabbi with samika, which means what? authority is if there were two verbal witnesses at your baptism that says there's something different about this guy that we need to recognize right now let's think about Jesus baptism for a moment that's already happened at this point the first witness that gives verbal recognition to the fact that Jesus was something different is John the Baptist right we spoke about it last week he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in other words you need to watch this guy because he's yeah. come to do something significant and profound but the second witness that we see at the baptism of Jesus who is it any guesses? Yeah, the Father, God. I was trying to teach this to my boys. Literally, the heavens opened and God speaks through the cloud. This is my son with whom I'm well. I mean, if you want to witness, yeah, right. <laughs> that's a good that's witness. You know. In other words, if no one else is going to vouch for my Samika, God is going to vouch yeah. for my Samika. Right? God speaks through the clouds. Now, Jesus has got two witnesses that speak to his authority as a rabbi. Now, I'm not saying that every rabbi in Israel would have affirmed his um, authority, but Jesus actually didn't need the affirmation of people because from that point, yeah. he was kind of moving into a stage of ministry now that was going to speed up and speed up until ultimately he ends up on the cross. So understand this, that when you become a rabbi, the place to find disciples because you need disciples, because you need to pass on the yoke, right? And just let's think even about the yoke for a minute, okay? Like, um, think about this, where people say, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, they say about Jesus, he says, you know, he's different to anything else we've heard. He, like, teaches, but he's got, like, authority. Yeah. Do, you remember, do you know that yeah. verse where they say that about Jesus? Yeah. They're like, I mean, he teaches stuff, but he's got, there's another level about yeah. his teaching. Like, it's crazy. Like, there's, there's freshness. There's, there's vitality. There's life in his teaching. Um, another place, I think it's in Matthew 11. I may be wrong there. But where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Like, 
receive my teaching. He says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he says, it's going to bring rest for your souls. Like other yokes of other rabbis yeah. made people feel captive or brought people down. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and it leads to freedom. It leads to liberty. It leads to life. Now, obviously, if you are a newly baptized rabbi, you need to find disciples. Where do you think you find disciples? Any guesses? My best guess would be a temple. A temple, absolutely. So go to the religious structures and, and buildings, and hopefully you find some religious people. But typically, disciples would go to the Bet Talmud, okay? So 12-year-olds who are about to progress to the school of the disciple. And a rabbi would walk into that school, and the one question they'd ask, right, and you need to hear this, the one question they would ask when they're looking at potential candidates is, does this person I'm looking at have the potential to do greater things than me? That's the question that a rabbi would ask. Because if the answer to that is yes, then they're worthy of my effort, they're worthy of my attention, they're worthy of my yoke, and therefore I can be confident that when I'm gone, they're going to continue the line that's been passed down to me. Here's the amazing thing, right, is Jesus doesn't go to the Bet Talmud to recruit these disciples, even though God himself had given testimony to the Samika that was on Jesus, the authority that was on Jesus. Where does Jesus go? He goes to the lake, right? He goes to the sea. He goes to the fishermen. Totally uh, contravenes the the way of the day to be a rabbi. And rather than going to the religious institutions and to the halls of education where you could find bright students with an aptitude for learning and and bright students who had credibility and were good, good family stock. In other words, Jesus goes to those who had been overlooked. Jesus went to those who had missed their opportunity to become rabbis. Jesus went to those who had dropped out at some point in their childhood out of the education, religious, religious system. And Jesus goes to them and said what every rabbi says when they're recruiting new followers. And he says, follow me. Follow me. This is why when these four fishermen hear those words, they leave everything. It's because Jesus extends to them an invitation that they thought they were past. They were too old. They missed the boat. No pun intended, even though they're fishermen, right? They missed the boat. They missed their moment. They missed their opportunity. Like, you know, we, you know, our future is simply just fishing for fish. Jesus goes to those places. This is mind-blowing. Because ultimately, he goes to the ones who society had looked over. He goes to the ones that the religious institution had looked past. He goes in many ways to the disqualified and says, come follow me. In other words, when Jesus looked at Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Jesus looked at them and says, when I look at them, do I believe that they can do greater things than me? And the answer is yes, because Jesus says that. You will do even greater things than these. In other words, as the church gets hold of the Holy Spirit and the yoke of Christ, Mm. the teaching of Christ, man, we can do incredible things. This is why it's so important that at this point, they jump off the boat, they leave their father, they respond to that invitation because it was exceptional. And even more than that, like because Jesus wasn't just a rabbi who had authority in the sense of new teaching. He had authority over the spirit. <laughs> what I mean by that is demonic influence. He had yeah. spiritual authority. He had authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And so when these disciples are called by this new rabbi who has Samika, who has a new yoke to bring into the world, 
they jump at the moment. Yeah. But this is the great thing. This is the powerful thing. Is that ultimately, they weren't equipped. Mm. They weren't credible. They weren't entitled. They had no right. But Jesus looked at them. Why? Because Jesus knew that ultimately the church wasn't going to be made up of superstars. He knew the church, his people. It wasn't about having people who were the finished product and people who had smashed it in academic circles, who knew all of the answers of the book and all this kind of stuff. But it was to do with people who would simply follow Mm. their rabbi. I know, Phil, can you come up and start playing keys? Is that cool? I don't know, what are your thoughts on this, Louise? Or what are the thoughts in the room? Yeah, I think there's a... um... I love what Louise Dalrymple says, that thank you, Jesus, that we are all welcome. And I think it's a real encouragement that uh, maybe if you're brand new to faith, maybe later on in life even, that you think, oh, I've missed so much. I've made so many mistakes. And, you know, my goodness, it's all, I know, I just sit sit on the sidelines of what God may have purposed me. But there's a real real encouragement there, isn't there? When you see Jesus, these men, because he would have, Jesus presumably would have taken much younger than... 30-year-old yeah. guys in a career. Yeah. It's incredible. So I think that's a real, a real motivation to anybody today. I think so. And, and what I think is amazing about this is now the extension to the church is to go and make that same invitation. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because you can be speaking to a homeless person outside Tesco's yeah. and you can say, come follow Christ, mm-hmm. which is just incredible, isn't it? Just yeah. as a, a thing. And you can speak to the guy smashing it in the business sector and you can say, come follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground's level. But at that point, we all come up short. We all come up in need. We all come, we need a savior. We need someone who can teach us how to live through this crazy life. And it's really interesting that when you look at the context of Jesus and the disciples, and I hope you're tracking with me at home, is that, you know, the, the disciples, can you still see me on the screen there, Richard? I'm, my head's not cut off, is it? Yeah. Is that the, the disciples would even learn the, idiosyncrasies of the rabbi like how the rabbi walks a disciple would learn all the little quirks of their walk and so they would say that you could look at a disciple and say oh he's a disciple of that person just by the way they walk because they've got the same the same idiosyncrasies and there was always this sense of like as a disciple you would have a group of disciples a group of disciples, and you've probably heard this before, but the one who was just absolutely, um, I guess, chomping at the bit to get as near to Jesus as possible would always be the dirtiest one. And it sounds weird, doesn't it? Because we think being clean is the win. But actually, in this context, the idea that, like, the dust of your rabbi would just be kicked up in the path, and it would go on your cloak, and it would be kicked up, and you'd like walk in the path of your rabbi. And so you would know that the teacher's pet ultimately was always the one with the dust on their robe because they were po- constantly right there on the coattails of Jesus or on the coattails of the rabbi. Now, now, I think this is the challenge is like our provocation to you at home, even today, is like how, how close to Jesus can you get? Like, because I think like what we like to do is we like to have our cake and eat it. So we like to be a bit in the world and then have a bit of Jesus, right? Like we, we like to do what we do on a Monday, then maybe rock up at church on a Sunday because we like Jesus. But the invitation is so much greater than that. The invitation isn't just to like Jesus and go to church. The invitation is to learn to walk like Christ walked. The invitation is to learn his idiosyncrasies. How would Jesus respond to this situation? If Jesus was in this marriage, how would he respond? If Jesus was in this friendship group, how would he respond? 
if Jesus was in this work environment, how would he respond? And as disciples, we're chomping at this bit, this idea to say, oh, Jesus, you're worthy of everything. It's like we see at the end of the Gospel of John. I know this is one of your favorite passages where, like, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Where Jesus has died on the cross and is rose again, but he hasn't revealed himself to all the disciples yet. And Jesus appears again. I think it's John 20 or John 21. I think it's John 21. And he's on the beach with fish cooking a barbecue. That's my Jesus. Jesus who creates food for me on the beach. That's awesome. And the response of the disciples, as soon as they get a slight inclination that this is their rabbi with Samika, what do they do? They put their clothes on and they jump in the sea. And they're like the first one. They leave the fish. Like they leave some poor person just hauling that massive haul in that they won that day. But they're just trying to get to Jesus. And and for me, this this is the challenge is what does it mean to be a disciple? And this is really the thing I want us to think about as we head into 2021. Well, well, first of all, it means how do I not hold anything back? How do I not withhold anything from my teacher? How do I not withhold anything from my rabbi? How do I not hold anything from my savior? How do I give it all? That's the first thing. How do I learn to walk like Jesus walked? How do I learn to speak like Jesus speaks? How do I learn to live like Jesus lives? But actually the greatest way to test the followership of a person, and this is a real challenge, right? It's, are you making disciples? Because the whole purpose of a rabbi bringing on disciples is that one day they can become rabbis and make disciples. That's the whole essence of discipleship. Because on the one hand, yes, praise God that he, he qualifies the disqualified and he calls those who had missed the boat and missed their moment. Thank God for that truth. And thank God that there's an invitation to me to follow him and have those moments of encounter with Jesus. Thank God for those moments. But then also, okay, now, now I'm following him. How do I call more followers to follow him? How do I make disciples and everything in us can think in 2021 that it's a time to kind of get more insular and focus more on the body which it is for sure like we want to see the sunny hill mature in faith definitely like it's got to happen it's got to happen people need to grow up in their faith people need to grow up in their marriage in their parenting in their relationships just in their outlook in their attitude they need to grow in faith but actually it's not just about how close can we all huddle next to jesus in 2021 yeah. okay because if that's the case, we may as well go to heaven, right? That's the bottom line. Like, if that's what we're, if that's all we're, it's, it's greater than that. Like, if all Jesus is to you is like a get out of hell free card, it's kind of like saying, I chose you because the other woman that offered to marry me was a minga. That's essentially what I think that's like. It's like you say, Jesus, I follow you because it gets me out of hell. Yeah. It's not the reason. The reason we follow Jesus is because there's life in him. The reason we follow Jesus is because he invites us to to live a bolder life, a more courageous life. It doesn't mean to live a life where everything goes your way because there's still hardship, there's still hurdles, there's still challenges, there's still sickness. Why? Because you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Jesus invites you to live in a different way. But the reason that Jesus isn't coming back just yet, and I think he's going to come back very soon, like really soon, but I think the reason he's not coming back is he wants as many people as possible to come into a relationship with him. And how does he do that? Well, as you follow him, he's going to make you a fisher of men. If your following of Jesus doesn't lead you to grow 
in heart for people. It doesn't lead you to grow in a burden, to grow the church, to see people. I'm not talking about Sunny Hill, I'm talking about the church. Seeing lost souls coming into the kingdom. Then you're not really following Jesus, you're simply just liking Jesus. And I really just want to provoke this idea of elevating. We're not likers of Jesus. We don't just subscribe to his YouTube channel, right? We're followers. We walk like him, we speak like him, we live it, but we make disciples. We extend the invitation beyond. Any extra thoughts in the chat room, Nubi, or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things I was thinking, it reminded me as you were talking of a conversation I had with Caleb about frostbite, oh, yeah. which is strange. But I was talking about how, and I don't really understand the science of frostbite, but the idea being is that you're your um, heart and all the vital organs are, are trying to keep the warmth contained in the kind of trunk of the body so that the limbs kind of yeah. lose, their, lose their blood flow because they're, they're not as important as yeah. the, the main part of our body. And I think if we're not careful, that's what we're going to do in this season, that we're going to confine all the heat to the inside and that we're not actually going to use our fingers and our hands, the things that God gave us to reach out to the world. And so we need to be mobilized. We need to, we need to pump this blood around our body. Let this be the fuel that, that actually pumps to the extremities and that it's more, there's an overflow, right. that it's not just a little bit of sustenance that feeds the, the, the inside of me that just keeps me close to Jesus, but that actually there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. So that actually my hands and my legs and my feet are mobilized in this season. Yeah. I don't want it to be a, a kind of, like you say, just like a settling down season where I just cuddle Jesus. Like yeah. I want Jesus to, to fill me up so that I am fueled yeah. to go yeah. out and, yeah. and, and make disciples in yes. his name. Yeah. And um, I think that's the real vibe in the room that I'm seeing here. People are, people are just are feeling those two things like, wow, this rabbi chose yeah. me yeah, and that I didn't actually do anything to deserve it. I didn't right. do this whole school system. I didn't yeah. earn the right for this for this life that I've been uh, invited into, that God just chose me like a, like a sailor on a boat. He's, he, he chose me. But then also there's more. Yeah. There's so much more. Well, that, that's the big picture, really. And that's really what I provoke, is that in this season, just Jesus, just mm. Jesus. But what that doesn't mean is just me and Jesus yeah. in our little home with the door shut. That's great. Because even if the pandemic is more contagious than ever, that's even greater reason to get into the world. Yeah to share with your friends, even if it's on Zoom. Or, you know, we did those acts of kindness where people were putting Sunny Hill Church, or Alan with his tennis balls, smacking Loved them it. around the park, yeah. Sunny Hill. Like, it seems so incidental, and in many ways it is, but ultimately God is able to use those things. But what I want to say, greater than that, is like, I just love this picture, and I think I saw it in the Chosen series, um, which is like a TV series depicting the life of Christ, where Jesus comes to his disciples, and he's like, come follow me, and let's change the world. Yeah. That's the invitation. So as we're looking at just Jesus in this season, we're not inviting you to a holy huddle. No. You know, we're not inviting you just to, like you say, snuggle up with Jesus. All those things are great. But if it doesn't lead to a place mm. where we've been made into fishers of people, then actually all we're doing is loving on Jesus. Mm. And we're not actually allowing him to transform us and to reform us and to posture us for a life that is committed to reaching souls of people it's a huge challenge isn't it huge challenge so I mean if that's resonated with you in some way or other at home I want to pray I want to pray um, maybe you don't know Jesus as your savior let me say this is that today there's an invitation Jesus is saying look come follow me they think well I'm not worthy you're right you're not worthy 
you know, you're not worthy. But still, Jesus is saying, come, follow me. I remember when he did that when I was 17, he did it so clearly where he's like, right, Dom, it's time to follow me. You've done your thing. You've tried your go at life, but actually it's time to follow me. You remember, I remember when you were saying that you tried to live a day without Jesus and it all went horribly wrong, didn't it? Um, and, And today, like you can accept Jesus as your, not just your rabbi, but your savior. As John the Baptist says, the lamb of God who takes away your sin, takes away your wrongdoing and your mistakes. And if that's you at home today, I'd love you to pray this prayer with me. So Louise will repeat after me just so you can uh, hear what this sounds like to repeat this prayer Jesus Jesus I invite you to be my savior I invite you to be my savior I recognize that I'm a sinner I recognize I'm a sinner I recognize I need saving I recognize I need saving I recognize I need help I recognize I need help Jesus I invite you Jesus I invite you not just to be my rabbi not just to be my rabbi but to be my redeemer but to be my redeemer to be my savior to be my savior to be my healer to be my healer and right now and right now I repent I repent I say sorry I say sorry I turn my back I turn my back on all the things on all the things that don't please you that don't please you and I surrender to you and I surrender to you in Jesus name in Jesus name amen 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 now does that prayer make you a Christian well the answer is I don't know <laughs> I don't know really all it is is that initial invitation for you at home to say, I'm now going to recalibrate my life to not just saying, yeah, I prayed a prayer back in 2021 when the world was coming off its hinges, but rather I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ. How do you do that? Get into the word of God. There's a new reading plan available now on the sunnyhill.church website that Pastor Phil has put together. We encourage you to do that. There's a Sunny Hill One Group reading plan on Facebook where daily there is encouragement and an an explanation and unpacking of what you've read that day. You can do all that at sunnyhill.church. Get into a habit of reading. But also for the church now, I want to pray for you. Because you need to understand this. There's no furloughed kingdom workers, okay? There are nobody furloughed in the kingdom. No one's like, oh, yeah, I'm just having a bit of downtime until the, you know, the economy gets back online. It doesn't happen. There isn't like, in the same way, there's no retirement. You know, there's, there's no furlough, okay? The work of the kingdom is still happening. And so I want to pray for you, church at home, if this relates to you and you're just thinking a real sense of God saying, come on, come on. It's time to follow me in greater, in, with a greater commitment, with a greater burden. Then I want to pray for you. Father God, right now we pray for your church. We pray for your body. We pray for the people that call you Savior. Lord, I pray, God, that whoever's watching this right now, Father, would just sense a quickening in their spirit and a sense of encouragement and a sense of desire to get as close to you as possible. Not just to feel your warmth, not just to feel your love, not just to hear your teaching but so that as lives they become living sacrifices, people who become fishers of people. Father, I pray right now for the church, for Sunny Hill in particular. Don't allow us just to coast through 2021 or just to wait until things get back to normal. We don't need things to be normal to do what you've called us to do. As long as there's people, we exist. We're here for the one. And so, Father, I just pray for a special unction of your Holy Spirit upon the church during 2021, God, to grow in courage, grow in revelation, grow in authority, grow in discipleship, and grow in missional effectiveness. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.